We're working through our series. Been going for the past few weeks, uh, the walk of life. Um, I ask that if you haven't been able to keep up with us, by all means, uh, download from our website. But what we're actually working through is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the first recorded uh, message of Jesus, the uh, first recorded message in the New Testament, and certainly the first recorded message that Matthew uh, collates in terms of the, the foundation, if you like, or the way in which Jesus is describing the way to live. And that's a key question for all of us, isn't it? How should we live? Uh, we all come here this afternoon from different perspectives, but we are, for all of our different backgrounds and all of our different experiences, the Bible says that we might come from all of those different uh, backgrounds, but we fall into two groups, really, according to the Bible. We fall into those who believe and trust in Jesus and are seeking to follow and follow Him and therefore live our lives uh, in accordance with the way that He sets out. So the walk of life that we're talking about is the walk of life according to Him. Or if we could put it another way, walking in the life that was His life or walking in the life that we trust, which is His life, or seeking to live His walk rather than our walk. All of those, many of those different ways of describing living a life as a disciple of Jesus. And therefore, what we're going to work through is uh, looking at some of the implications of that. At the same time, we might be here. It's great to see you. Uh, we might be thinking about the Christian faith. We might be brought along by somebody. We might be here and just... Um, uh, interestingly observing. Uh, we might be here out of duress. There's lots of different ways, but at the same time, we are all w living our lives shaped by something, aren't we? We are shaped by something. There is some driving force. Whatever our focus is, whatever our priority is, we live according to a certain focus and desire. And the walk of life is shaped by... Uh, either our attention to following Jesus or the life that we create for ourselves. The challenge comes, doesn't it, when we face difficulties and when we face hardships as we walk that life, when we face anxieties, challenges. Um, I, I wonder, just to introduce this afternoon, I wonder whether you can work out the connection, whether any of you know the connection between... Uh, British Cycling, Team Sky, Liverpool FC, and uh, England Football Club. And I know that some of you are already thinking, yeah, that's just what Paul's interested in, uh, which is, that is a connection. But there's a, f a fifth one I just want to add in, uh, Rampton Hospital. Oh, that's got you, because you thought we were heading in a particular direction, didn't you? What connects all of those five? Uh, what connects them is a guy called Steve Peters. Steve Peters has written a book called The Chimp Paradox, uh, which is a fantastically helpful book in lots of ways. I just want to make that up, say that up front. His work, he's a, he's a psych, psychiatrist, and he wor works in the field of sports psychology, but not exclusively sports psychology. He also works in the field of psychiatry within a secure uh, mental health hospital. So he's working in very, very different 
areas, isn't it? Yeah, it's not as though it's all the kind of glitzy side. It's actually some of the really gritty, tough stuff as well. Uh, and what he recognizes, what he encourages is, and he uses, obviously, as soon as we use a description called the chimp paradox, I recognize that um, what he's using is a whole load of evolutionary terminal, t- term, term, terminology. <laughs> put, put that to one side just for a moment because I think what he says is really helpful. He says that essentially we have... Uh, two ways of assessing events in our life. Things that happen to us, things that are said to us, uh, things that we look at, uh, and we have what he describes as our chimp and our human. And the chimp is the out-of-control, emotional perspective. And then we have our balanced, objective, human perspective. So if we were able to make all of our decisions based on a clear, logical strategy, then our human side would be doing great. But the reality is that, as he describes it, our chimp gets in there first. And it grabs a hold and it interprets and it goes off on its crazy emotional journeys. It's out of control. It's not in its cage. And somebody says something, somebody does something. And our first reaction to that event is to interpret it in a particular way and then say to our decision-making bit, see what he said? See what she said? And our emotional perspective then shapes the way we decide to logically make decisions. Now, there's times when we need to be driven by emotion. There isn't when we're faced with um, a really critical moment as we're driving along in the car and somebody pulls out in front of us. Uh, The reality is that we, we make decisions based on emotion in that moment in time. Our adrenaline kicks in and we make all sorts of decisions really quickly. We don't have the time to um, logically assess, "Mm, okay, well that car's traveled out at X miles an hour and I'm traveling at Y miles an hour and if I calculate that out, that probably means that we're going to hit each other so I ought to put my brake on. We don't do that. We go, put the brake on. That's the way we work. I think there's some really helpful stuff in what is being said. But I also want to look at what Jesus says. Because I think what he does is he introduces to us a way of living, a way of viewing, a way of seeing things, which accepts that there's some way of looking at some of that stuff that's quite helpful. But Jesus, the great teacher of all time, comes along And he says something which sounds a little bit like that and then blows it into the stratosphere and takes us on another perspective because the key issue is this. How do I deal with challenges in life? How do I deal with difficulties in life? That's the key, isn't it? And there is a sense in which we want all sorts of help by wise people but we ultimately want to go to the wisest person. The one who brings another perspective. So Jesus is saying, okay, up to now, he said, I want you to live in this way. I want you to live in a radically different way in terms of your relationships with people around you. I also want you to think about 
uh, an attitude towards those who you would describe as your enemies in a way which is mind-blowing to our human perspective. The foundation of that is because that is what I am doing, Jesus is essentially saying. I am coming to this world and I am living in this world with an attitude to those who are my enemy or at least I am their enemy. And I am extending love, compassion, gentleness, and ultimately the offer of salvation to those who first have rejected me. The foundation of our living is the life that Jesus lives. He then says, now, uh, the basis of that, you can express that by not holding on to your possessions, giving to the needy in a way which is... um, not concerned with your own security, and then expressing the fact that you live in this world, not bound by your security, but by uh, looking to another perspective. And you can do that by, for moments, letting go of the things that you make your security in this world. The way that Jesus describes it in uh, Matthew chapter 6 is by fasting. That's one way. By saying the one thing that we know we absolutely need to live in this world is food. And therefore, just, just let go of that. And allow your mind to be taken to another dimension, another focus, and another priority. We said last week, what do you and I, for moments, need to let go of so that we rebalance ourselves and see ourselves focused on a greater priority? What do we need to let go of in the 21st century? To remind ourselves that we don't live now. Jesus takes it on another stage now as we enter into what is, in my Bible, has a heading, treasures in heaven. Creating for yourself a treasure store. The first thing he says is, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we're talking here about treasure. We're talking, aren't we, as well, about security. That's what we're talking about. Treasure is actually completely meaningless in and of itself. There's many stories that pick up on this idea. Uh, The idea that you can have the greatest riches and yet they are absolutely worthless if you're cast up on a desert island. You can have a... On a desert island, would you prefer a chest of money or would you prefer a fishing line? (laughs) Which is the most valuable in society? The part of money, which is the most valuable to live at that moment in time. There is a sense of money in and of itself is of no worth. And yet what it does, Jesus puts his finger on it. And he says the reality is that your treasures are what you decide is going to provide for you your security. We live in a world that does that, don't we? We live in a world where bonds and securities, different financial mechanisms, different ways of creating what? Securities is a great title, financial descriptor for bonds and shares and different ways of making investments. They're all securities. 
some of those securities we say are that they're really safe. Really safe securities and some securities are really risky securities. But they all carry that heading. Securities. Isn't it fascinating? They're ways for us to create our security. And Jesus says, stop. A bit like Steve Peters. I mean, Steve Peters said it far more poorly 2,000 years later. He says, stop. Just pause a moment and, and allow some logical perspective to come in. The logical perspective is quite simply this. If you create securities in this world, moth and vermin will destroy. There's the logic. There's the perspective, the balance which says you create a security in this world and it is by very nature going to break down. You create a security outside of this world and the corrupting influences of this world can't get to it. Create security in heaven and moth and vermin can't get to it. Thieves can't take it. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying to you, have a mindset, have a perspective. In other words, to live in this world and say, how am I going to be secure? How am I going to be secure? If I do all of these things, then I can earn enough money, and, and that's my security. And Jesus says, look, look. Open your eyes, he says. Not eyes of physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. Open your spiritual eyes and look. You can create a security which is temporary and which is open to corruption. Or you can create a security, a treasure, which is, can never be touched. You know, the reality is, I think the past decade in Western society has probably, since the 1930 crash and depression, has arguably been the most pointed statement of what we are seeing here. That the moth and vermin and thieves are metaphorical these days, aren't they? They're not literal. You know, we don't actually gather together our treasures and hide them away physically in places where moths and rats can, and corrosion and thieves can grab a hold of them. We create securities where metaphorical moths Metaphorical rats, meta metaphorical thieves can break in and take what we had. We have seen that happen right across Western society over this past 10 years, haven't we? To devastating effects. When we look at the rates of suicide in the, in the capital of London, in the center of London, in the financial uh, areas, it was comparable a few years ago with the, um, with the suicides that were going on in uh, the 
crash of the 1930s. There is a comparison when we suddenly realize that what we thought we had, which was safe and secure and giving me security, suddenly is gone. There's the reality of the world that we live in. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is saying to us across the millennia, make sure you store up in the right place what is going to give you an ultimate security. Now do you see the connection that he's encouraging us to see? Our security, therefore, cannot possibly, it cannot possibly be in this world. Our treasure cannot possibly be in this world. Because all of this world is open to corruption. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, and you also need to realize that what becomes your security becomes what you worship. It becomes what you adore. It becomes what you love. And it becomes what you place your hope in. For where your heart is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It will. It absolutely will. What we place as our security, what we believe ultimately, Jesus is saying, what we believe ultimately is going to save us is where our heart will be. We give all of our affection, we give all of our being, we give all of who we are to that which is our treasure, to that which we believe is going to give me security and save me. And Jesus says, I want to encourage you. I want to open your eyes. Look at where your security is. Is it somewhere where the corrupting powers of this world can get to it? Be wary. Because, Jesus says, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Do you see the way, do you see the way our security shifts? Isn't it interesting what Jesus says? Our security, which we think we've got control of, becomes our master. And we end up serving it. Jesus says you cannot serve both. We thought, didn't we? We thought we've got money in con- under control. We thought we've got financial well-being under control. But if all of our heart is there, Jesus says, you need to realize that all of a sudden you'll stop and you will realize you're serving it. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus says. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. You cannot serve money. The the twist that Jesus makes is absolutely foundational to our understanding of, of how we work as people. When we suddenly realize all that I'd controlled, all that I'd planned, all of that, it's got a grip on me, which suddenly I'm serving it. I've got to make sure it's there. I've got to make sure it's safe. I've got to make sure it's secure. And I'm 
I'm worrying, I'm anxious, I'm panicking, if suddenly it looks like it's under threat, it's got me. And I'm guessing that for many of us as we listen to this, it rings little bells in our attitude, doesn't it? I suddenly realize this has got me, I haven't got it. It's controlling me, I'm no longer controlling it. And what Jesus says is just be open, just be honest, just realize that the greatest thing in the whole of this world is to openly and consciously serve God. Just know that you're doing that. Be happy that you're doing that. Because in that is your security. In that is your hope. Because you can't serve both. As Bob Dylan once sang, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. Jesus says, make sure that you have your security in heaven and not in this world. Now, look at the, look at the way that Jesus takes that concept. He says, now, think logically. Money in this world is open to corruption. Therefore, make sure your treasure is in heaven. That's your objective idea. And then we see in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, on the basis of this idea that I've just said, I now want you to think like this. Therefore, I tell you. So Jesus is saying precisely what we said right at the beginning. Change your logic. Change your logic. The logic is, if I create a security in this world, then it's open to corruption. But if I realize and apply a new logic that my security is in heaven, then I live in a different way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. In other words, it just makes logical, startling sense, doesn't it? If my security is in this world, and it's possible that it can be corrupted, whatever that security is, it might not be money, it might be relationships, it might be um, some other kind of security, it might be family, it might be all sorts of things, but all of those things are open to the decay of this world, and if they fall apart, my foundation disappears, it crumbles. Therefore, I worry. I have every reason to worry, actually. I have every reason to worry if my security and my foundation is something that is open to crumbling in this world. So Jesus says, now, let me just create for you something which is not open to crumbling. Therefore, because I've drawn that picture, don't you worry. Don't worry. About what? About life. About life. It's that big. It's that huge. Don't worry about life. He uses two metaphors. He uses insignificant metaphors. That's the point that Jesus is making. The metaphor of birds and the metaphor of flowers. He says, look. Look around. 
Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to uh, feed yourself with. Just look around. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Can any of them be worrying? Uh, can any of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't spin, labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then God clothes the fields of the grass, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, these two simple little pictures. Birds are insignificant. And yet God, the creator of those, also keeps them. He feeds them. Now, Jesus is not suggesting here that we just live a hippie existence. He's not saying, strap your six string on your back and just go for a wander and just work out whatever just happened. Just chill, man. He's not saying that. He's saying, if your worry is created by what is going to happen with regards to all of these, don't worry. He's he's not saying don't live diligently. There's plenty of parts in the Bible where the diligence and, and, and being correct in our daily lives is, is honored and shown of value. But he's saying, what's our attitude towards this inner turmoil? What am I doing? What's going to happen tomorrow about food, clothes, all of these things? The desperately important things, Jesus says, look, birds and flowers, they don't worry about it. I look after them. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, Jesus says. Now, up to now, I think Jesus, or rather, I'll put it the other way, I think Jesus has said 2,000 years ago, already what Steve Peters is encouraging us to think about. Think logically. Think logically. The logic is eternal. Then bring in a perspective which allows us to live today without worry. Here's the challenge. What about when anxiety is in human terms, appropriate. You see, what he's saying is, now just think about it, your heavenly Father looks after you in all of these ways, so don't worry. But the reality is, there are occasions when we look at it, and we realize, don't we, that it is absolutely right that tomorrow I might not have food. Tomorrow I might not have clothes. That might be a true perspective. What happens then when God has said, your heavenly Father will take care of you, so don't worry? What happens when that reality is not the case? When we know that tomorrow isn't going to be a good day. What do we do then? Does that mean that God has let go of us? 
Because up to now, we're on the page with Steve Peters. We say, yeah, that's right, we're bringing, God is bringing in a different logic to our thinking and telling us to live today. But you know, the chimp paradox just falls apart at this moment in time if we only think about living for now. If we say God's bringing a perspective which will keep you safe, you'll be fine. What do we say to the 33 Christians in North Korea who Kim Jong-un has sentenced to death for having Bibles and for propagating the gospel. How does this apply in that situation? When the reality is that tomorrow there is real, absolute, appropriate human anxiety. True fear. Appropriate fear. What happened in your life and in my life when the reality is tomorrow there is appropriate fear? See what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Think about it. Your life is a continuous process. It's a continuous thing. Your day-to-day life here in this world, is connected with your life in eternity. The treasures you store up in eternity are your security now. In other words, if your focus is eternal, then you are eternally secure. It means that your fears for now are secured by an eternal perspective. I'm living now As though the kingdom of eternity is mine now, Jesus is essentially saying. You can't ever take it away from me. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. And what you need more than anything else is life in eternity. That's real security. That's real treasure. That's real hope. So, when the final reason for human anxiety finally gets you, you still have hope. You still have security. Because by very definition, it is eternal. I suppose Jesus just peels the lid back a little bit on that, doesn't he? When he says in verse 27, can any one of you by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. Can you do that? Can you add a single hour by worrying? No, you can't. You can't add a single hour to this life, but you can secure an eternal life. You can know what it is to be in relationship with God for eternity, which is precisely why he says, therefore, work out how to secure that eternal treasure. How are you going to secure it? How are you going to make sure it's real and tangible? Verse 33 says, But seek first His kingdom and righteousness. Where's your priority? How do you create and ensure and make sure that that foundation is there? He says, make sure that you seek first 
the kingdom of heaven. Don't we run around day by day seeking first the kingdom of this world? Seeking first our security in this world? Making sure that I'm emotionally robust in this world? And none of those in and of themselves are inappropriate. It is not inappropriate to plan and work out financial securities for this life. That's not inappropriate. It's not inappropriate to look to people who create uh, ways of understanding how our minds work so that we can understand how to create emotional security in this life. That is not inappropriate. But if that's all that we're looking for, if that's everything, if that's it, we've missed what Jesus is saying when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Make sure that you are connected to that kingdom. How do we get connected to that kingdom? What, how can we possibly, just thinking logically, how can we be connected to that kingdom? The eternal heavenly kingdom. The hint is in the speaker. Isn't it? How do we get connected to the eternal kingdom? We get connected to the eternal kingdom when the one from the eternal kingdom comes into our world. Jesus. When He breaks in, when He connects with us, when we trust in Him, we realize that He is our connection, our security, our hope, with and for and through the eternal kingdom. He becomes our hope. So what are you seeking? What am I seeking? First. First priority. First priority, Jesus is saying. What's your first priority in life? That's where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. That's where you're placing all your hope. Don't be surprised when it crumbles. But when you're placing your hope in the eternal security that came into this world then something else takes place. Treasure is eternal. This imminent threat, this real threat, doesn't take away the eternal promises of God. The rewards of, amazingly, life and eternal food, and eternal being and clothing and all of those things that we, we hold on to so desperately in this world, Jesus says all of those are not inappropriate. They are little windows. I know that you want to be clothed. I know that you want to eat. I know that you want to live. Of course you do. Because that's what eternity is going to be. Not going to be floating around on a cloud with a white cloak on playing a harp. You're going to be living a real, tangible, living body which eats and drinks and talks to each other and works. I'm glad. Because I don't want to play a harp. And then Jesus says this, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. I find that an amazing little verse. Again, there is a really appropriate and really helpful tool that is being used various areas within the health service and others. It's called mindfulness. Teaching us the ability to focus on today. Just focus on today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on today. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus said that 2,000 years ago? Be concerned about today. It's entirely appropriate. It's really good. It's a great tool. But it does crumble when the real challenges of life come. When something washes up that is unstoppable. And Jesus says, I know, but if eternity is what you are first secured, then you have hope. Essentially what he is saying, or at least what he is preparing the way for in this aspect of this particular sermon is saying this. If you want eternal hope, you need to trust in the eternal. He's setting the stall out for him to say, as we can say today, trust Him. Trusting Him creates that very hope. 